We're starting a movement with Lazy Boy. Well, technically, it's more of a don't movement. We work full-time and parent full-time. Our feet will be in the upright position, and our podcast will be listened to fully reclined. Now that we've completely checked off our to-do list, we'll be checking off our to-don't list until further notice. We, the lazy, are taking back lazy, all from the comfort of our Lazy Boy furniture. Lazy Boy. Long live the lazy. Hi, this is Pod Save the UK. I'm Coco Khan. And I'm Nish Kumar. Is there any cause you believe in so strongly that you'd be willing to sacrifice your freedom for it? If you're watching this video, I'm in prison. And I'm in prison because of action that I have consciously taken as part of a campaign of civil resistance against this government. That's Chloe Naldrit, theatre producer, mother of two, and Just Stop Oil activist, and our guest on this week's show. With Rishi Sunak hitting out against eco-zealots whilst leaving the climate crisis off his list of five priorities... It's time to ask, whose side are we on? And is it time to Just Stop Oil? Welcome to Pod Save the UK. Hi, Coco. Hi, Nish. How's your week been? Do you know what? It's been surprisingly good, thanks to a unlikely wellness intervention from... Space Karen, a.k.a. Elon Musk. What? What? Did you not have that thing where you had your Twitter limited? I don't know. I My relationship with Twitter has drifted somewhat. Right, okay. So it, it has drifted somewhat. I think there was a point at which I just started to think, why would I voluntarily <laughs> open... Like, if, if, if the post... If every day in the post... I got 50 letters telling me that I should kill myself. I would stop getting the post. Yeah, I I can see what you mean. So I think a few, I was like, I think I'd have changed my relationship, especially when Elon took over and, you know, took over Twitter on a platform of, we should have more Nazis on this. (laughs) That was the point where I was like, maybe I'll slightly take a step back from this website. So I definitely use it way less. So I actually... I actually didn't, it didn't practically impact my use of okay, it. Okay, okay. Well, so did you actually have it? Yeah, so I had the thing that, you know, you log on to Twitter. So what happens when you exceed your limit? You just can't see what anyone else is tweeting. Really? It's like you're not able to view anyone else because you're not important enough. He already took my blue tick, can I just say. <laughs> yeah, he took he mine as well. He already took my bloody tick and then he said I couldn't use it. And so he basically did what my therapist has been saying for many years, which is get the <laughs> fuck off Twitter. So to answer your question, I had no Twitter all weekend. So I just like wrote things. I read things. I was reading about trying to catch up with this horrendous situation in France. Did you know the youngest, the sort of average age of the rioters in France are 17? Yeah. I mean, to be that young and that disillusioned, there's clearly a problem, a massive problem in France. Completely. So I was reading about that and this is kind of related, but also maybe not. But this story came up as a part of the many stories that are around this France situation. They did they did haute couture week. Whilst Paris was burning, they still sent people down the runway, which is like, you know, very, very fashionable thing very... to do. And it's, I just... it's dreadfully Marie Antoinette. Like, it I really hate to is. bring uh, that lady up in conjunction with French history, but you have to say there's something of the Antoinette about that endeavour. I mean, it is a touch on the tone death side, isn't it? <laughs> but I don't know if you know this about me, that I love fakes. What do you mean? Like, what, fake, like... like fake designer items. 
Yeah, I, I love could, them. Yeah, right, okay. And when I was a kid, obviously, it's because I was skinny and like we couldn't afford Adidas, so you wore Abby Bass, yeah, obviously. Yeah. But now that... <laughs> Abby Hash <laughs> is what I remember. <laughs> Rebork was my <laughs> favourite. Ah, <laughs> uh, Noki. <laughs> yeah. But now I'm older, I genuinely love them as like an absurd piece of work. And also it just, it, I'm happy that I'm upsetting the the powers of the design houses. You know, I'm walking around in Christian Bior yeah. and probably there's someone in France really like feeling very hard done by for that. Um, and the reason, again, I wanted to bring this up to you is because before we did this podcast, I was like, I'm going to tell Nish about my love of fakes. And I Googled like fakes to see what was out there. Yeah. And I just need to warn you that there is a present coming for you. And the present is... <laughs> Are you aware that Adidas have a new slogan, which is impossible is nothing? I am aware of that, right, yeah. Okay. Because it's like one of those absolutely hilarious, like, <laughs> co- yeah. like corporate slogans that genuinely means nothing. You're like, yeah. impossible is nothing. You're like, it is a thing. <laughs> like, it's literally a thing. It, it, it's impossible for man to fly. And if you want to test that theory, jump off a cliff without <laughs> yeah. a parachute, Adidas. Well, you're going to love this version that I have because it's a bag, but it's been garbled, maybe accidentally, or maybe as a piece of ironic art. I don't know. But the slogan is, nothing is possible. <laughs> So I can't wait to get it for you. Oh, there was another one. I really love <laughs> no, so nihilist excited. fake Adidas. Yeah. Actually, the, the Nike version would just be, don't bother. Don't, don't, just don't, don't do bother. it. Don't do it. Actually, if any of our listeners uh, come across any great fakes, yeah. I'd love to see them. Yeah, there was we one would going love to see that. of a, um, a badly made Ralph Lauren polo where the horse was riding the guy. <laughs> <laughs> it was really good. Okay, but outside of uh, outside of Coco's love of bootleg fashion, um, our priority today is how to save the UK from a climate catastrophe. This week saw the world's average temperature reaching a new high. Uh, scientists say that the reading was the highest in any record dating back to the end of the 19th century, with our Prime Minister being accused by his own colleagues of apathy on climate crisis. His government have been forced to deny it's planning to break its flagship £11.6 billion climate and nature funding pledge for developing countries. And uh, Alok Sharma uh, has tweeted, uh, so hope the government is not planning to drop its climate finance pledge to some of the most vulnerable countries in the world. I was at the UN when Boris Johnson and made this commitment to spontaneous applause, it was a proud moment for the UK. That's Conservative MP Alok Sharma, who was president for COP26 uh, when it was held in Glasgow. So obviously uh, quite a high-profile Conservative who quite recently had a very important job within the context of the climate crisis. didn't feel great for Rishi Sunak. So there was a lot of outcry about the news that the government may be planning to break its pledge. Uh, Just Up Oil tweeted, so who is going to put a number on how many deaths this will cause? It's time to call this government out as murderers, cutting climate aid to vulnerable countries, drilling for new oil and gas as more heat records shattered. We are witnessing a deliberate genocide. So coming up next, we'll be joined by our special guest, Chloe Naldrit, who is spokesperson from Just Stop Oil. Pod Save the UK is brought to you by even the royals on Wondery. When you take a closer look at what it means to be royalty, you'll see that it comes at the expense of everything else, like your freedom, your privacy, and sometimes even your head. On Wondery's new podcast, Even the Royals, they pull back the curtain on royal families, past and present, from all over the world. 
And you can listen for free wherever you get your podcasts. From one of the most infamous royals in history, Marie Antoinette, but everything you know about her is wrong. Or Catherine de Medici. History branded her as a cold and power-obsessed manipulator, saying she was responsible for one of the most devastating massacres in French history. But she was an orphan who spent her life as a powerless hostage and her determination to rise to power led her to some dark places and some desperate measures. Follow Even the Royals on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge Even the Royals ad-free right now on Wondery+. Plus. Pot Save America is brought to you by Helix. If you're looking for better sleep, you need to upgrade your mattress with Helix. The Helix lineup offers 20 unique mattresses, including the award-winning Lux Collection, the newly released and high-end Helix Elite Collection, hmm. a mattress designed for big and tall sleepers, and even a mattress made just for kids, which Charlie has. Charlie has a Helix mattress now, just for kids, in his uh, race car bed. Very nice. excited, very happy about it. Take the Helix Sleep Quiz and find your perfect mattress in under two minutes, and uh, it ships straight to your door free of charge. They even offer a 100-night trial and a 10- to 15-year warranty to try out your new Helix mattress. If you're a side sleeper, you can choose a model with memory foam layers to provide optimal pressure relief. There are also models with more responsive foam to cradle your body for essential support in stomach and back sleeping positions. Plus, check out enhanced cooling features to keep you from overheating while you sleep. It's no wonder Helix has over 12,000 five-star reviews. And you, you've loved your Helix mattress. I love I got a Don Lux. There you go. And there it's you go. great. Helix is offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com slash crooked. That's helixsleep.com slash crooked. This is their best offer yet, and it won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. As we record this on Wednesday, the Home Secretary Suella Braverman and Culture Secretary Lucy Fraser are meeting with leading sports bodies to discuss the threat of disruption by protesters from groups such as Just Stop Oil. Over the last few months, we've seen the orange powder paint fly at major events like the World Snooker Championships, the Chelsea Flower Show, the Lords Test Match and last week's Pride March in London. With Wimbledon having just got underway and the British Grand Prix at Silverstone this weekend, the organisers are clearly getting jumpy. Yesterday, the Prime Minister Rishi Sunak wrote an article in The Sun in which he labelled the protesters as Lords eco-zealots and praised England cricketer Johnny Bairstow for physically removing one of them from the pitch. Just to be clear, this is the same Rishi Sunak who failed to name the climate crisis as one of his five political priorities and who was accused by Zach Goldsmith, who quit as a foreign office minister last week, of showing apathy towards the environment, uh, who also was actually going to skip COP27 in Egypt last year, only to cave on that decision after immense public pressure. So as another climate record tumbles last month being the hottest June on record, who's going to save us? Because it isn't going to be this government. Maybe it could be our guest, Chloe Naldrich. She's a theatre producer, a mum of two boys and a spokesperson for Just Stop Oil. Hello, Chloe. Thank you for joining us. Hi, Hi. Thank you for having me. Thanks for coming in, Chloe. So this ends up being by accident particularly relevant day for you to come in because um, last week the government's climate change committee said that the government was missing the majority of its climate targets and had lost its position as a world leader on the climate. And this week, uh, the Guardian and the BBC are reporting that the government's drawing up plans to drop uh, the pledge it made when it hosted COP26 in 2019 to contribute £11.6 billion to the global fund set up uh, to help developing nations who are most at risk from climate change. The government has uh, issued a denial on this front, but are you starting to worry if Rishi Sunak actually believes in the climate crisis? Because... I mean, he he talks a good game, but based on his actions, he's starting to feel like a climate denier. 
Yeah, I think that's a that's a totally fair reading of that situation. He just doesn't get it. And I think there's um, there's a question really, isn't there? Because they've got the best people briefing them on this. So they simply cannot be unaware. It's just that he simply doesn't want to get it. He doesn't want to face it. He's not brave enough to look at it, what it means for the country and on a personal level for his children. So, you know, I, I genuinely think that there's a sort of an absolute abdication of responsibility coming from him on this, on a political level and on a personal level. And like you say, every time you look at the news, every time you open a paper, there is a story about the climate crisis or about our lack of response to the climate crisis, which makes the existence of Just Stop Oil absolutely fundamentally essential because no one is pushing back against the government on this except us. With someone like Rishi Sunak, I, I'm sure there's a more erudite way of me asking this question, but do you think he's just too fucking rich to give a shit? <laughs> because if they're, you know, he's probably got some land in New Zealand that he's squirrelling to hide his children when the everything goes Mad Max. Well, I think that's probably happening to an awful lot of people who live in, you know, ex with extreme wealth, whether it's... Um, Darren Woods, the CEO of Exxon, who earns $24 million a year plus his bonuses from, from a business practice which is destroying our future. You know, th they know that. The, the oil companies, they know that. The governments, they know it because the UN has been really, really clear about what's happening. So this idea that, that they're insulated from the problem, I think, I think you're probably getting at, at what, the, what the pathology of it is. Oh, you know, that's for other people, it's not for me, we'll be all right. But, you know, what's coming? The, the, the social breakdown, the, the, the weather events, the, you know, the absolutely catastrophic consequences of this are going to affect all of us whether they affect us, you know, directly in not being able to afford our shopping or in having our, our house burnt down, or whether they affect us because we're simply not safe mm. in our homes and in our society anymore or because our infrastructure is crumbling around us. So it's just, it is just absolutely staggering ignorance, and I do think it's pathological. There is this kind of resistance to engage with it and certainly just a will provoke a lot of fingers in ears stop it stop it stop it I've actually got an example of it now that I want to play for you I'm very sorry you have to <laughs> sit through this for our listeners we're going to play Chloe a clip of her recent appearance on Pierce Morgan's show on talk tv the more of these things you do are things that I enjoy and my friends enjoy and my family enjoys and other people with their friends and families enjoy the more families that you stop in getting to work or getting their kids to school for important exams or getting to funerals or whatever it may be, the more you do that, the more we hate you and the more we don't want to have anything to do with you or give you a platform to talk about the stuff that actually is more important, as you rightly say. Why don't you just stop the stupid stunts? Stop wrecking because people's this won't get, lives. this won't stay in the news and it won't stay in the conversation. And perhaps what we're doing by interrupting the things that you need to do that are important to you, that you love, is we're making you think about everything that no, we're standing No, you're not. You're making lose. me think you're a Lord bunch De of morons. Lord Debon said today... You're not, Chloe. Lord Debon said Chloe, today... you're not making me think about your cause. Nobody at Lord's well, today was thinking, you God, you know what? It, this Pierce. is about climate change. We saw the orange powder, the whole crowd started booing, and fortunately... England's working keeper, Johnny Are you Bairstow. going to let me talk? Uh, actually, no, I'm going to cut Are you, you off. I'm going, to go to, I'm going to go to Sir Geoffrey Boycott. Geoffrey. Um, it's very painful to watch that. I, I watched the whole thing. It's like 20 minutes long. It is 
it's it's horrible. There's a line here, by the way, uh, at the beginning before he introduces Chloe, where he talks about the attention-seeking and wrecking of stuff that other people enjoy. And I thought, you're talking about you, Pierce. That sounds like a description <laughs> of you. Uh, but, <laughs> but seriously, how did you feel watching that? That is the first time I've seen any of it back because I, I just thought, I, I, I'm, I don't need to watch that back just yet. Um, the funny thing is about Pierce, you can't take it personally because it, it, it's not personal to me. It's just generalized hatred towards yeah. people who are doing the stuff that he that he disagrees with and because he's I think there's also something pathological going on there. He just simply won't listen to anybody. That's not what his programme is about. It's not about listening to anyone. It's not about learning. It's not about sharing views. It's literally just about shouting at people. And I thought, you know, I don't think I need to watch back being shouted at like that. But yeah, it's the staggering thing about it is that it's just the lack of vision and the lack of seeing what's absolutely obvious. And I had to stand there while he and Jeffrey Boycott sort of ranted on about, well, the integrity of the cricket pitch. And you're going, what about the integrity of the, the planet that we live on and our ecosystems and our, and our crops? And what about the integrity of our water supply? What about the integrity of the, the temperatures that we need to live in? You know, it's just so willfully blind. It's, just, it's interesting as well because the narrative that people use about Joseph Boyle was like, oh, they're ramming it down our throats. But then you watch all the clips and you barely get a word in and everyone's shouting at you. It's just yeah. a strange... To see it play out like that, it's quite jarring. And, I, yeah, I'm sure it was more so for you. Well, it's just very frustrating. Also, as a cricket fan, uh, I think whilst he's a wonderful batsman, the protester is just about the only thing Johnny Bairstow hasn't <laughs> dropped in this test series so oh, far. Oh, oh. So that, in a way, a in a way joke, right? that's, yeah, that's a very specific <laughs> okay, test okay, cricket cool. joke. I wasn't sure, but I gave the, the sportsman response, which I believe is oh, well. <laughs> I think it's really interesting thinking about what would have happened if the cricketers on the pitch had stopped yeah. and stood there and and let the protest happen. You know, what was it? Five minutes? Five minutes that that match was disrupted before they got back on and carried on playing. What if they'd stood there? What if they'd applauded? What if they, you know, supported? The, the, the people taking that action. How would that have changed the narrative? How would that have changed the public discourse? What are the opportunities here for sports people who are finding themselves in this kind of situation? Because we've, we're all affected and we've all got a part to play. Can I ask you, and I, I myself have been on a journey with this, like I did question time a few times, once with Piers Morgan and, you know, and I felt that I had some obligation to do it. Now I've gone the other way and thought maybe that's maybe I shouldn't participate in those kind of conversations. Is there value in going on those shows? Yeah, I think there is. I, at the moment I came off it, I went, right, I'm never doing that again. I'm never going on there to be shouted at like that again. That's awful. And then I phoned Donica afterwards, who's also um, part of that interview. Yeah. And, and he said, look... It's useful. It's so useful every single time because otherwise they're going to have the conversation without us. Yeah. So they're just going to they're just going to do the shouting without even the thirty seconds that I might have got in about you know what's going on and the, the government's failure to act. Um, but he said that that anything that you do that sows a little tiny seed of doubt in the presenter's mind or in the mind of the people watching, every single little bit of reminder that you get that you go, this is real, this is happening now, yeah. and we can prevent it because we're causing it. Every single opportunity to do that is worthwhile. I just yesterday just typed in just stop oil into Google, right, just to see, you know, what was going on. And then you click on the news tab and it gives you all the headlines. And the headlines were 
mad. Yeah. One of them was from the BBC and the headline literally said, just stop oil, what is it and what does it want? <laughs> I don't know if you've seen the name, but uh, there's a big clue. There's a clue about what it wants. And it's, it was kind of, you know, like I, I'm a journalist myself, I sometimes try and take with a pinch of assault, with, with a pinch of salt, sorry, the idea of like the, the mainstream media's against... Uh, people, but when I saw those headlines written out like that, oh really my is. god! Yeah, yeah. It was all very one yeah. note, one side. Do you feel this is a uh, that this tactic can eventually cut through this? Well, I think the question is, what are we trying to achieve? And obviously, the the, the main demand is that we need the government to not license the hundred new oil and gas fields and open the right. coal mine that they're trying to open. Like this is the you know eighteen seventies. That that's the really clear demand. But, you know, what we're not trying to do is get the right-wing media to go, God, Just Stop Oil, they're so amazing, what great guys. You yeah. know, if that, was the t- if that was the aim, this is not how we'd go about it and, and we would be spectacularly failing. The yeah. point is we are just there to make sure that this conversation is happening every day in every possible cultural space and we are achieving that. And like you say, the, the amount of media that we had like last week was absolutely off the charts. It was astonishing. There is no environmental campaign group that has ever achieved this kind of consistent um, media presence where, you know, I read an article about Wimbledon yesterday that was that actually led with um, just people are being screened to, to make sure that they're not just stop oil protesters on the way in and is just stop oil going to disrupt Wimbledon? We haven't done anything yet. Yeah. You know? But suddenly it's at the top of the conversation and that's not because we want attention and Believe me, it's not because we enjoy doing this stuff. It's mm. so stressful. And, you know, the, the stress of doing these actions and then of court and of the possibility of fines and prison sentences, it's mentally and physically really demanding. But we're, we're doing it because we don't know what else to do. Mm. You know, the situation is absolutely desperate. And this is this is working because this is changing the, the public discourse around it, even if it's we hate you, but actually we probably have got a point about the oil and gas fields. Because that is the concern, right? Because the way that the narrative around Just Stop Oil is shaped is hugely done by hostile elements of the press. Are you, so you're, you're happy for people to have a negative view of Just Stop Oil as an organisation as long as they absorb something of the substantive message. There are people who are, you know, typing Just Stop Oil into a search engine, which I highly recommend you do, and finding where they can come to a talk and they can hear more about what we're trying to achieve and why, or they can sign up to join us on one of the marches that we're doing every day in London. So there, there will always be people who will find us out because they're sat at home going, I'm really scared and I need to do something. So they're there anyway. We're not going to get broad public yeah. support, but that's all right because we're not trying to get elected and it's not a popularity contest. So that that's fine. The, the most important thing is that our government feels the pressure that makes it do the right thing to pr- protect us now and in the future. And to be clear, the demands are, I, I know you've already said it, but I think it's worth restating. Mm. It's quite spe- it's quite a specific thing. The brilliant thing about it is that it is a very, very clear demand. You know, just stop oil. What we're saying is we cannot license any new oil and gas. We're not saying shut oil off tomorrow because yeah. that would be impractical and that would be um, that would not be a just transition and the, and the people who are already at the front line of all the front lines that are happening in this country right now, which are all related to the crisis one way or another, they would be the people that suffer first and worst. So we're not saying switch it off overnight. We're saying we need to start the transition with a seven or eight years worth of oil that we already have mm. and we need to get, go, that's our target. That's our target to be transitioned towards um, an energy um, economy which is built on sustainable, renewable, um, clean energy sources. Um, 
So that's 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 what it is. And, and of course, the, the thing is that there are so many things that we need to do all around the world to combat the, the, the climate emergency and the biodiversity loss that is just going to be absolutely mm-hmm. catastrophic for all of us and is catastrophic for people now. But we won't get to do any of those things unless we stop the harm. And the harm is coming from our burning of fossil fuels. I wanted to ask you about your own personal journey. What was your moment that you were like, I, I have to drop everything and do this now? Was there like an epiphany? Um, there, there was for me. There was a moment when I really engaged with the very discomforting truth about what the climate crisis means for my children. And that was, that was a, a really sort of distressing moment for me. Um, and everything that I've done since is basically about trying to run as fast as I can away from how that made me feel. So, What, all, what was the moment? Um, well, I just sort of, I was, I was standing in the shower and I just thought, what, you know, it was a beautiful day outside and I, and I just had this moment of, what if I can't feed my kids? What if I can't keep them safe? You know, what if, you know, the climate crisis is the biggest threat to law and order that the, the, the world will ever have seen because what do people do when they, when they can't eat? What do people do when there's not enough drinking water? What do people do when their homes aren't, aren't habitable? Um, what if I can't keep my children safe anymore? And what would that ask of me as a parent? And, that, the, you know, the, the, the thought of that is, is horrific. And I think until people go somewhere like that, your, compar- your, your version of whatever that is, you know, the threat to the things that you love most. Mm. I think you don't connect with the crisis emotionally because we all know it intellectually. Even the people who are denying it, they know yeah. it intellectually. And that is a form of going, oh, God, I can't, I can't deal with how that makes me feel. So, but until we really consider it on that personal level, I think, I think it's very difficult to comprehend because it's so massive. And you went to prison for it right I did what, what was that like <laughs> I'm a, a white straight middle-aged quite middle class um, woman I'm cisgendered I'm employed I'm able-bodied I'm, I'm of sound mind you know my, my mental health is strong prison was not difficult for me on a personal level. How long were you in for? I was in, I was only in for a week. I was in, right. I was in, uh, yeah, I did a week in Foston Hall in Derbyshire. Had a lovely lady who was also on the action that I, that we took at Kingsbury Oil Terminal. Yeah, because she was there with w- me. What was, what was actually the reason you went to prison? Yeah, we broke an injunction. So, um, what's happening at the moment is civil law, as opposed to criminal law, is being um, manipulated by um, the companies that can afford to pay for these things called injunctions. So all the oil terminals in the, in the country have taken out these injunctions which prevent um, anyone protesting on their land, prevent people from blocking roads. We went to Kingsbury Oil Terminal just outside Birmingham and we sat in the road at the front of that oil terminal in defiance of that injunction and, um, and were therefore then all held on remand for a week before we could go into court and be sentenced. So, um, so, so yeah, you weren't I, actually breaking any laws, to be clear. We weren't breaking any, any laws of the country. Yeah. We were breaking a private law that has been taken out by an oil company against ordinary people. Which is interesting because, you know, lots of the criticism against your stop oil is why don't you go to the oil companies? Well, we that's do. why. And, yeah. and, and 51 of us went to prison for a week and some, stayed, some were in a bit longer than that. And, you know... The, the beautiful Guardian covered it, but no one else did it, you know. So, so you go, well, that, that doesn't work. It doesn't work when we do that. It doesn't get the coverage. So, yeah, it was a, it was a week in Foston Hall for a week. Um, it was with a lovely lady from the action so that, you know, the two of us really looked after each other. But the shocking thing for me 
as someone who has never, prior to any of this, had any connection to and any engagement with the criminal justice system whatsoever. The shocking thing for me was meeting the other women that were in that. And I, and I was like, I was still on action mode, so I, like, talked to everybody. Um, they're there because they're poor. They're there because they are in, they are in grinding generational deprivation and they're committing the kind of crimes that people commit because they're poor. And it's the shocking thing about it was the level of um, illiteracy mm. and the level of um, mental health issues and, and just, the, the, just the sort of social issues that are being suffered by the women that are in there with absolutely no support. There's a woman opposite me in the cell who's having six-hour-long psychotic episodes between her meds, and she was left in there yeah. on her own. So, you know, f for me... It wasn't a big deal, but witnessing that, that has absolutely fundamentally changed who I am and how I respond to the issues that are going on in our but society. When you were in there and you talked about the environment, did it register with people? Oh, yeah, they were absolutely fascinated because <laughs> they were brilliant because, you know, those, those women are in there all day, every day. Some of them are for really long sentences. So they're really up for a chat. <laughs> <laughs> they were like, why are all you posh girls in here? <laughs> and explained. And they're like, oh, right, yeah, that's really important because, you know, they know they're at the front line. When they're in that, that old, poorly insulated prison, it's really hot in the summer and uncomfortable. And they were like, yeah, it's really bad. It was really bad here when it hit 40 degrees. And then when they're in the winter, they're absolutely freezing. Mm. So, you know, they, they know that they're, that because they're experiencing at, at the sharp end what's going on. So with um, the reason I wanted to ask you that is because, again, in how Just a Boy was characterised sometimes is this idea that the public are against them. But, um, you know, I know a couple of Just a Boy protesters mm -hmm. and they do say, yes, it's bad, you know, getting spat at, pushed, shoved, but also some huge amounts of love and praise from just complete strangers. Yeah. I wondered if you could share some of that as well. Yeah, that's the thing that the media doesn't like to report on. So when, when we go on programmes like that, they, they tend to show pictures of us um, out on the roads being interacted with in a negative way by drivers and by passers-by because that's great news, right? That's that's nice bit of conflict and, and yeah. sparks a discussion. What they're not showing is the people who stop and applaud and the people who, you know, burst into tears and say, thank you for doing what you're doing. And then the people who stop and have a conversation and then subsequently, you know, might go and join up and join us on another march another time. There was a really amazing story um, from one of the early... Um, daily marches sort of back in um, the end of April where um, somebody came along earlier in the day and, and um, ripped banners and, and was really angry and verbally abused the people who were, who were walking along the street and then um, came back the following day oh, wow. and apologised and said, I've looked into what you're doing and it's really great and stopped and had a cup of tea with them. Oh, wow. Where's that story? Where's that story being told? You know, because that's, that's, that is that's also beautiful. what's happening. Just as an aside, uh, we had someone write into us who had a small one-man protest, not about the environment, but about um, voter... Voter ID. Voter yeah, ID. Yeah. And people brought him tea. And I don't know why, but there's just something about that, like the beautiful activist cup of tea circle. Mm. Yeah. I think we can all just solve this. We yeah, yeah. need to have some good yeah. cups of tea. The lovely thing within the activist community which it really is a community, is that there's a huge amount of self-care and love for each other because we all understand the, the pressure that we're under of, of putting ourselves in these situations and what that feels like. And so there is just this lovely familial feeling. And the amazing thing is we're all completely different. You know, there is... The, the, I know there's a media stereotype out there, but it's, it's totally inaccurate because 
we're, we're people from completely different walks of life. And this whole confected narrative that, that we are the enemies of working people, we are, we are working people. We're, we're, we're actually your neighbours. Mm. Um, and you, when, you, when we all get together, which doesn't happen very often, but it's beautiful when it does, you, you, you really see that because we are just a cross-section of society. I do want to ask you about politics, given that we are a political podcast. Mm. Is there any party you'd back to look after the environment at this moment in time? Well, the interesting thing is that as a result of these protests, or as, or maybe just as a result of, of good sense and reading the, you know, the UN's report on climate change, perhaps, every political party in this country, with the exception of the Conservatives, has backed the No New Oil um, pledge. And, and has turned that into their policy. So, you know, and, and Keir Starmer reiterated that a, a few weeks ago. Whoever gets in next is going to need their feet held to the fire because there's, there is big, difficult work to do. And politicians, as we've seen, you know, Tories have been in 13 years, they haven't wanted to engage with any of this. In fact, they've gone backwards. They've gone backwards. So anyone who comes in next is, is going to need to be held to account. Does that mean Just a Point will disband? No. Well, yeah. it depends. <laughs> it depends. We're we're only here as long as we're necessary. Yeah. So if if the next government is is doing what it needs to do in respect of stopping new oil and gas licences, then you know then this campaign won't be necessary anymore. And it'd be lovely to think we'd get to that point. We're <laughs> <laughs> just there being like, I'd, please, we don't want this job anymore. I'd love to go home <laughs> yeah, yeah. and back to my job. It's really nice. Have you had to take a hiatus from your job? No, I, I, no I'm, still, I'm still working. So I, d- I did take some unpaid leave when I went and did the Kingsbury action and went to prison. In terms of like, um, we, we're already talking about next governments because, I mean, <laughs> we're, there's a pretty widespread sense. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It's not aren't staying. Yeah, Yeah. the the, this lot are are not going to be hanging around for very long. But unfortunately, because of the uh, nature of our electoral system, there's a chance that the election could be held as late as January 2025. Um, And, you know, one of the messages that we're constantly getting is time's running out, time's running out, time's running out. Uh, Is there a message in the interim that you would like to deliver to Rishi Sunak? In, you know... Given that he's, he could be Prime Minister for, you know, at least another year and a half. I think the key thing with Rishi Sunak is he's clearly incapable of dealing with this as a politician. I'd like him to think about it as a parent. I'd like him to think about his responsibility to his two children, to his girls, um, and consider what he can be doing on their behalf if he won't consider it on our behalf. So I, I would really like him to consider what his responsibility is as a father, um, because if we all thought about what we could do as an individual, then we would already be halfway to, to solving this problem. And he has the power to do some really good, important things. And he'll have to be brave and it won't be comfortable. Mm-hmm. But if he does think about what this means for his children, I think his decisions might be different. He, I mean, he obviously as an individual has a huge amount of power. The, the problem sometimes the thing that I feel about it is completely powerless and hopeless. I think that's sometimes when you read a lot of the information about where we're going, what's, uh, while we're we're just demanding that you give messages out to individuals (laughs) or groups. (laughs) It's like a weird version of Cameo, isn't it? I'm here for this. This is great. (laughs) What's what's the message you, how do you, warn people off despair. Because mm. it's quite 
quite paralyzing yeah. despair. Yeah. If you think it's inevitable, it is hard to get up yeah. and stay motivated. Yeah. Despair is is an inactive yes. emotion. Yeah. So you've got to get from despair to hope, and hope is an active emotion, and not not you know crossing your fingers and wishing it'll all turn out, but actually truly what active hope is. Um, you, you, I think there'll be so many people who are listening to this who feel as I did, this is really scary and I don't know what to do. And I would just urge those people to find other people. Yeah. <laughs> Whether you want to come and join Just Stop All, and I promise you'll be welcomed with open arms if you do. Whether you feel like Extinction Rebellion, which has moved into this more sort of community, grassroots, joining organisations up, really important work. If you feel that's the place for you, go there. If you feel it's Greenpeace or Parents for Future or Friends of the Earth, just go and find other people who are where you are at in terms of thinking this is awful and who are where you are at in terms of what you're prepared to put on the line for it. And that is the antidote to the despair. Mm. Every single time, finding other people who share your concerns but are prepared to work with you to do something about it. And anyone that thinks that an individual cannot make a difference has simply never tried. I have one question. Yeah, yeah. How are you as a person? Because, like, this kind of stuff yeah. is hard and it does take a toll on the individual and you know, you're a activist and a campaigner, but you're also a human being. And are you feeling all right? <laughs> <laughs> you know? Thank you for asking, and I might cry. <laughs> um, I am, because this feeds, this gives me a lot back. Right. This is so much better for me than sitting with that despair and that feeling of I can't do anything and that worry. This is so much better. Um, but it is hard, you know, it's hard being, it's hard reading all the reports, it's hard reading all the newspaper articles. You know, b before I had that sort of awful vision about what it was going to mean for my kids, I, I used to read the headlines and go, I don't want to read that, <laughs> I don't, yeah, don't yeah. want to know. Yeah. And now I do read it and I have to hold all of that information and it's hard and it's heavy, but I don't feel like I do it alone anymore. And I do feel like there's people who are, who are looking out for me and I do feel this enormous sort of swell of, of love and support from not just from the, the activist community, but from, you know, my network. Mm. You know, when I go out and do Piers Morgan, I get all these messages from people going, <laughs> hope you're OK, it's so horrible, you, you know. And, that, and that, that is really helpful because I, I know that what I'm doing is, um, is being seen and appreciated and it is changing the way people think. And I think also... I'm going to have my philosophy moment. Here oh, we yeah, go. here we go, here we go. I was telling to Anisha about it earlier, actually, that I once went to a philosophy class. And it was all about, like, logic and, I don't know, to be honest with you, Chloe, I didn't really get it. But one of my takeaways from it was this idea that, like, you should always be sure to make a distinction between likely and inevitable. Because actually inevitable, logically, is very, 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 yeah. very, very, very rare. <laughs> Extremely rare. What you're talking more about is likely. And I always thought to myself, well, as long as things that are bad are not inevitable... There's always a way. There's always a way forward. And as long as you can hang on to that, you can keep motivated, you know. And yeah. even with this climate, climate catastrophe, there is still a way. We can still live well on this country, in, on this planet. It's not... Because I know people are talking about, oh, it's the point of no return. But there's still, there's still a way we can do this, right? Well, there's still everything to fight for because the reality is it's not like there's going to come one day and everything shuts down yeah. and, and, and it's all over. 
We have to fight for every single fraction of a degree of global warming because every single tenth of a degree represents the livability mm. for millions and millions of people. So, e you know, even if we do hit a point where the scientists say, well, we've passed 1.5 degrees, we've basically passed it this year, is the absolute yeah. truth of that. Um, then, and, and we start to lose control of some of those climate systems and those, the, the ecosystem collapse. Um, it's, we still have to keep fighting. Because there will, you know, that, that won't mean that everything is shut down. It will just mean that we lose some things. But the reality is that we sort of got till the end of this decade. And if we absolutely go at it, frankly, if we went at it, if, the, if our government went at it with the zeal for which it's going for environmental protesters, yeah. we'd be fine. You know, if they, if they were spending time, you know, having interministerial inter conversations about how we solve the crisis rather than how we deal with the, the fire alarm, then we'd, we'd be all right. So that's why it is so important that we mobilise everybody. And if not everybody the to the climate <laughs> was a migrant, yeah. then they would just care more. <laughs> I think that I think the fact that the, the, the phrase they're more worried about the fire alarm than the fire is so good. That's, yeah. I mean, that's the, that's, that's the whole thing, isn't it? Yeah, that is the whole thing. Thank you so much for your time, Chloe. This has been so thought-provoking and inspirational. I really, we really appreciate it. Thank you, Chloe. Thank you. We're starting a movement with Lazy Boy. Well, technically, it's more of a don't movement. We work full-time and parent full-time. Our feet will be in the upright position, and our podcast will be listened to fully reclined. Now that we've completely checked off our to-do list, we'll be checking off our to-don't list until further notice. We, the lazy, are taking back lazy, all from the comfort of our Lazy Boy furniture. Lazy Boy. Long live the lazy. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. Okay. It's been another tricky week for Rishi Sunak, the Prime Minister at time of recording. Yet more divisions have appeared within his party. Um, backbunchers have launched their own immigration plan, of which we will talk more in a moment. But he was also given a grilling by the Crossbench Commons Liaison Committee, which is a sort of super committee made up of the chairs of the other Commons committees. And it's something that every Prime Minister is expected to do twice a year. Mm -hmm. So questions range from the economy, immigration, NHS to Ukraine and Israel. He was given a particularly thorough going over. That makes that sound a bit saucy there. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, just that line there. Oh, all right. By Labour MP Chris <laughs> Bryant, who forced him to admit... Oh, should I do it again, just in case? I don't know. I don't, <laughs> I don't, mind. Know. I don't mind you bringing a bit of blue to this. <laughs> yeah. And I'm not talking about the Tory party. Yeah. All right, let's, let's stick with it. He was given a particularly thorough going over by Labour MP Chris Bryant, who forced him to admit he hadn't read the report from the Privileges Committee, which criticised a number of Tory MPs for undermining its authority over its report into Boris Johnson misleading Parliament. Chris Bryant also grilled the PM over his plans to miss the next two Prime Minister's questions and missing votes on potential punishments for Boris Johnson and the former Minister Owen Paterson. You didn't turn up for the Owen Paterson uh, votes at all. That's right, isn't it? 
uh, I, I can't recall. You didn't turn up for the Boris Johnson um, votes at all, did you? Uh, so no, I was at a, a charity dinner for Jewish care. <laughs> I, I think that's uh, some cutting it fine, I would argue, since um, other members of Parliament who were at the same dinner with you and left after you did manage to get back for the vote. Uh, I think, I, with greatest respect, I think their role and my role at the dinner probably slightly you, you different. You chose not to be there, didn't you? Uh, that's that's uh, twice. Chose, On two rule-breaking moments, you chose not to be in Parliament. But uh, yesterday, you opined on the rules of cricket. Oh, God, the thing I disliked from that whole uh, situation there was Rishi Snunak just smiling the whole time. Do you want to do that again because he said Snunak? <laughs> it's that, I mean, it's, it felt like a Freudian slip that you've, you're <laughs> so bored by him that you tried to sneak the word snooze into his surname. <laughs> Does it? I mean, it doesn't not work, it does it? Not. It doesn't not work. <laughs> Snooze <nag. laughs> Um <clears throat> What I really disliked about that um, episode there, that exchange, was that Rishi Sunak had a, a shameless smirk on his face the entire time. Yeah, and I think, look, I, I can understand how you might look at this and think, well, at the end of the day, this is a sort of, this feels a bit sort of inside Westminster, who attended what votes, who did this. But I think the reason that it really matters is because of the stall Rishi Sunak has set out and the platform that he uh, is aiming to win the next election on. And now a chunk of that is just general culture war and sort of personal attacks on Kirstarmer. But another facet of that is he has set his stall out as being the antidote to Boris Johnson. So he, he has set himself up as a person of uh, integrity, maybe a little dull at point, but a technocrat who's focused on detail. And so I think the problem for him here is that he hasn't read a report into whether members of his own party may have been damaging the political process and democratic accountability in this country. And he didn't attend two votes about the integrity of the former prime minister again, who comes from his party, under whose tenure he served as Chancellor. So I think that this contradicts Rishi Sunak's own image that he's trying to sell to the public mm. of a details-oriented person who has immense personal integrity. And that also matters because the only other thing he set his stall out on is these five pledges, which at the time were criticised for being so low in their expectations that it was almost impossible to not fulfil them and he hasn't fulfilled any of them. Yeah. So he he's not delivering anything substantive on a policy front and he's not delivering on his promise to be a details-focused politician of immense integrity. Do you know what he's a fucking waste of space. <laughs> I wanted to tell you about this new band that I'm sure you're going to love. They're called the New Conservatives and they have all your favourite players in it but the music's even more shit. <laughs> Have you heard of them? Have you seen their first album? <laughs> yes, I did see this. This was the uh, the, the website launch on Monday of uh, a new group of uh, uh, new conservatives. Uh, who Tracklist said... includes We Hate Migrants. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, Tom Hunt, uh, one of the MPs uh, who's part of the group, said he sees the group focusing on three main issues, migration, law and order, and what they see as the threat to Britain from woke ideas. And you're like, <laughs> how is this the new Conservatives? I, I, it doesn't seem to be hugely uh, different from the old Conservatives. But Miriam Cates, is another MP, gave a speech at the event saying it was time to make our borders culturally secure. 
Oh, hello, Miriam. I see the dogs assembling from the dog whistle you just blew. Culturally secure. Oh, what in the name of Enoch Powell has happened here? I mean, they, they've, they've got, they're calling on the government to dramatically reduce migration. They say they want to see net migration fall from 606,000 to 240,000 before the end of 2024, which the report argues could be achieved, get this, Coco, uh, by measures including slashing temporary care worker Oof. visas. And I'll tell you, if there's one section in Britain that has too many workers, it's the care section. <laughs> people in care have had it too good for too long. But this is what I mean. I thought the Conservatives are meant to love old people. That's their voter base. That is predominantly going to impact elderly care. They, they want this to happen before the end of 2024. I mean, it's almost, I, I, as I'm saying this, I feel that I'm wasting my breath. And it's because weird, isn't it? why because are we trying to speak logically to these people? Part of, part of our job on this podcast is, you know, when Labour make their promises to be like, yes, but where will the money come from? And there's a part of me that's like, I don't care. Just find the money, rob the bank. I don't care. Do what you've got to do, man. <laughs> like, just find it. Because, I mean, if you were to do nothing there would be a uh, diminishing service as people leave. But then these guys are here, just out here with axes, trying to cut down every little sapling of hope we have left in it. But look, it's bad news for Sunak because this is more dissenting voices coming from the right of his party and that's a section of the party that um, maybe didn't want him in place uh, in the first place. And, you know, I personally have no faith in the Conservative Party's ability to deal with its most extreme elements, only because in the last 13 years, the story of British politics is the right, hard right of the Conservative Party wants something and it gets it. Just on this new Conservatives business, it uh, speaks to an email we've had in from a US listener. Uh, he's called Nathan. Hi, Nathan. And he says, as an outsider looking in, Suella Braverman seems to be both racist, incompetent and maybe not the brightest star in the firmament. <laughs> so my question is, why, how is she Home Secretary if she seems so ill-suited? Is it the least coveted ministerial position? Is it that they had to put her somewhere? Or is it that she was essentially appointed to destroy the ministry from within? Well, I think, again, for international listeners, it's worth considering Suella Braverman's recent career. So uh, in October of 2022, uh, she left her cabinet position as Home Secretary. And she said the departure was because she had made an honest mistake uh, by sharing an official document from her personal email address with a colleague in Parliament, which sort of breaches our ministerial code. Um, she kind of resigned. And then that was the 19th of October 2022. On the 25th of October 2022, so a grand total of six days later, she was reappointed to the same job by Rishi Sunak. Now, the widespread assumption is that Rishi Sunak guaranteed her that job back if she supported him mm. in his campaign to be leader and not Boris Johnson, who she'd been a very close and public political ally of. And that was a way of ensuring that Johnson didn't have enough uh, votes from MPs to stand against Sunak. And if he'd had to stand against Sunak, the votes would have gone to the Conservative members who had already rejected Rishi Sunak in favour of Liz Truss and seemed to be the last people in Britain to still have anything approaching a high opinion of Boris Johnson. So she is very specifically in that job as a way of quietening down this right-wing right fringe of the Conservative Party. Mm. And again... It, this goes back to what I was saying. The tail is wagging the dog. And unfortunately, the tail is doing what looks uncomfortably like a sea kyle towards Germany in the 1930s. So Suella Bravman is in that job essentially, not because she's qualified, but because 
she appeases a small section of the Conservative Party. And those are the people who, unfortunately, are running the country. So we interrupt this podcast because Nish and I have just received a news alert, not just special for us, I think many people who have news apps would have received the uh, same one, that Just Stop Oil have protested at Wimbledon. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm just watching footage now. Um, it's a game between show Shima Bakuro and Gregor Dimitrov. Um, and uh, this sort of uh, Dimitrov's about to go uh, to serve on court 18 in Wimbledon and two uh, JSO protesters have run on and thrown sort of what looks like orange confetti uh, on the court. Um, uh, there's a lot of booing from people who I guess were... Very excited to see some action on Court 18, um, and yeah, and so it's uh, it, um, yeah, it's just they're, they're scattering bits of orange confetti um, across the court. Yeah, and so we had the pleasure of speaking to Chloe Neldret, who is a spokesperson for Just Stop Oil, earlier. She'd actually left the studio. This happened, and we pretty much just chased her and asked her to come back. So thanks for doing that, Chloe. <laughs> so my pleasure. I mean, I've got to ask, did you know this was coming? Um, I didn't know it was coming, but I'm, I'm not terribly surprised that it's coming. Yeah. You know, we are engaged in civil resistance and taking every possible opportunity to bring maximum attention to the cause. And of course, Wimbledon is, is one of the biggest sporting events in the diary. So I'm not surprised to see that it's happened. It's hard to not uh, acknowledge the reaction of the crowd. There's a lot of booing. Mm. Um, uh, how, how do you feel about that reaction? Well, I think that's it's unsurprising, isn't it? Because it's interrupting people's enjoyment of, of something, and in in the moment, that is really annoying and frustrating. We all know what you know whether whether you're being held up in traffic yeah. or whether mm. the, you know you're, you've gone to watch a sporting event and it's and it's had to stop for some reason. It, it is really annoying, but. Um, we're looking at a disproportionate um, amount of disruption that is that is coming for all of us. So the disruption to a sporting fixture for, you know, let's face it, probably five, ten minutes in order to draw attention to the crisis, you know, really isn't the big the biggest uh, the biggest deal. Mm. This protest had a variation from the iconic orange mm. powder. Just mm. wondered if you could explain for our listeners about the confetti. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know that, that. I don't know what's being used there. It will be something that's non-toxic, and it will be biodegradable. It, it won't be um, harmful at all. Mm -hmm. Like the the the, the, pa the poster paint um, is actually cornflour with food colouring in it. So there's absolutely you know no it, you could eat it basically. Right, there's yeah. no, no no toxic risk. But I do know that Wimbledon has stepped up its um, the searches, bag searches, and confiscating anything that could conceivably have looked like orange poster paint. So right. I imagine they had to had to evolve. I mean that's what we're doing. We're the reports to are that it's it's jigsaw pieces uh, and confetti and there's an official statement from Just Stop Oil saying we can't leave it to the next generation to pick up the pieces. Which is, that's solid wordplay, man. It is really good, isn't it? You know, jigsaw pieces. <laughs> we can't like leave really it to... really literal. <laughs> that's solid. And I've, I've just had a look at the at the press release and the, the two individuals that, that took action, the two supporters of Just Stop Oil who's taken this action are grandparents. They're, yeah. they're, they're, they're concerned for the future of their grandchildren. And, you know... I, I, we all get that, don't we? I was looking at a picture the other day of of my dad with my with my two children, and it just made me think: Are I ever going to see? A, is there ever going to be a picture of my children with their grandchildren? Are they going to have the privilege of grandchildren? So it's very moving when you think about the the kind of sacrifices that are, are being made for our for our kids, for our next generations. Gorgeous. Thanks, Chloe. 
So, a number of you have scolded us for leaving out heroes and villains uh, from last week's episode, including, to be absolutely fair, my mother, uh, who also called me to say, where was heroes and villains? Uh, but we needed to make room for John Humphreys' great stories. Uh, there was a lot of love for him in the inbox, right? Yes, lots of love for Mr Humphreys in our inbox, including this from at Tribble Chibi. They commented on YouTube to say, I've never heard of John Humphreys, but I'm already writing up a petition to make him my new granddad. So if you're also in need of a surrogate grandparent, you can listen back to John Humphreys on last week's episode. It's episode nine on our feed. And we did actually put our last week's hero and villain on social media. So that's your fault for not following. Um, you can find us at Pod Save the UK on Twitter. OK, so Coco, tell us who you've chosen as this week's PSUK villain of the week. Yes, yeah, so I'm going to go for the Rail Delivery Group. They represent train companies and they're planning to close hundreds of ticket offices in stations across England over the next three years. As you know, transport is my thing. I feel very passionately about it. But for me, I think this speaks to a problem with like who is designing our world. Mm -hmm. This decision was clearly made by someone, designed by someone or some people who have never experienced poverty who certainly aren't elderly and certainly not disabled. Probably we kind of know what the decision makers look like um, because, you know, there's lots of people who won't be able to use an app and might need help, you know. I mean, the amount of times if you need to get onto an app and you're not on you're not on a contract phone, if you just yeah. pay as you go, you run out of data. I'm just I just think it's really sad and it makes me absolutely furious. Also, just on a personal level. Those apps break. They break all yeah. the time. Those machines break all the time. So there's actually a lot of people who just, that's not going to work for them, you know? Yeah, it's, um, it, it's, it is interesting how many decisions are now being made on the assumption that every single person interacting with every single thing they need to interact with to get through their day-to-day -day lives has access to the internet on a mobile phone that has credit on it and then yeah, they're also able to pay for things mm. on their bank card. Yeah. And again, there's the assumption around a cashless society does exclude uh, a lot of unhoused people, uh, recent immigrants, undocumented people that you know, are part of the economy and lifeblood of the country yeah. and are people too and have the right to use yeah, these things. Yeah, exactly. But anyway, please take us out on a, uh, a positive note with your hero of the week. Uh, I've gone for a trailblazer in the sport of football, which uh, for our American listeners, you now know as that thing Ted Lasso does, uh, Hannah Dingley. Uh, 30 years after the show, the manageress imagined uh, the actress Sherry Lungi as the first woman to take charge of a men's team. Hannah has made history as the first ever woman to manage a professional men's team in the top four leagues of English football. Uh, she's been put in caretaker charge of the first team at Forest Green Rovers in League Two after the club sacked former Everton and Scotland striker Duncan Ferguson. Uh, she took the Forest Green first team for training for the first time on Tuesday and she'll be in charge for tonight's friendly at non-league Melksham Town and she's expected to continue to lead pre-season preparations. I think the important thing as well is that sort of um, role modelling um, for other female coaches, other young girls um, that are growing up knowing that anything is possible if you work hard enough and opportunities do come along. Almost my biggest concern in a way is that this, is, this isn't a gimmick, this isn't a, about this, this is about those players in that changing room and this is about them getting the preparation that they need for that campaign. And I would like that nothing takes away from that, because if it does, then it's probably the wrong thing to do to put me in this position in the first place, because they're the priority and the team are the priority. And this isn't, a, as I say, a gimmick. This is because we need to do the best things for those footballers and our football club. Look, there's absolutely no reason why an eminently qualified woman shouldn't be able to coach a men's football team. 
Nobody seems to have any problem with it the other way around. Phil Neville was in charge of the England women's team, despite having a somewhat insubstantial coaching CV. And, you know, it, it was in fact his successor, a woman, Serena Wiegman, who actually brought England a football trophy for the first time since 1966 when the women won the Euros. So I can't see any reason why this shouldn't happen more often. And it's also very difficult to be the first person through the door in any way. So you have to salute Hannah Dingley. It's incredible. It's Phil Neville's not the mini retirement one, is he? No, that's Gary. All oh, right. Okay. This weekend, I'm going to Spain Friday till Monday morning. I call that's like a mini retirement. So that's a weekend. <laughs> it's a weekend. It's a mini retirement. <laughs> Think about that daily. That very much lives in my I, mind rent-free. I think he, uh, based on an interview I uh, heard with him last week, yeah. I think he gets reminded about that daily <laughs> by, by the other people. I've seen multiple... He's on a live tour at the moment of The Overlap, which yeah. is his like, YouTube web series, and basically it gets brought up every five minutes. Did you know how um, <laughs> our guest was talking about, like, oh, Just Stop Oil, everyone's, like, obsessing about it, and that's why they've almost done a good job. You know, Just Stop Oil was living in politicians' minds rent-free, that's a good thing to have in your mind, referee, not mini retirement, which is why I can't think about it all the time. And thanks to everybody who's got in touch this week. Uh, you can get in touch with us by emailing psuk at reducedlistening.co.uk or you can even send us a voice note on WhatsApp. Our number is 07514644572. Internationally, that's plus four four seven five one four six four four five seven two. If you're new to the show... Remember to hit follow on your app and you'll get a new episode every week. And uh, just finally, little favour, little favour, the British Podcast Awards has a public vote, the listener's choice. And uh, if you'd like to vote for us, you know, it's no, it's not mandatory, but it would be good. Um, and it's also free and easy to do. So please just go to uh, www.britishpodcastawards.com forward slash voting. Anyone can vote. So again, you just go to that website, britishpodcastawards.com forward slash voting and you just type in the little box there pod save the UK remember as a show we encourage people to vote as often as possible <laughs> pod save the UK is a reduced listening production for crooked media thanks to senior producer musty aziz and digital producer alex bishop video editing was by will darkin and the music is by vasilis fotopoulos thanks to our engineer david dagahi the executive producers are louise cotton dan jackson madeline herringer and michael martinez watch us on the pod save the world youtube channel follow us on twitter and tiktok where we're at pod save the uk or on instagram through the crooked media channel and hit subscribe for new shows every thursday on spotify amazon apple or wherever you get your podcasts We're starting a movement with Lazy Boy. Well, technically, it's more of a don't movement. We work full-time and parent full-time. Our feet will be in the upright position, and our podcast will be listened to fully reclined. Now that we've completely checked off our to-do list, we'll be checking off our to-don't list until further notice. We, the Lazy, are taking back Lazy, all from the comfort of our Lazy Boy furniture. Lazy Boy. Long live the Lazy. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire.